0: Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter for this episode is Cameron Brooks. In a recent essay in The Atlantic, George Packer wrote that the stories we tell ourselves about the past allow us to see the country we want. He criticized what he called historical fatalism. The pessimistic doctrine that's come to dominate our popular discourse, in which the present is forever trapped in the past and defined by the worst of it. The problem, in part, is that we're not turning to history just to find out what really happened. Instead, as the philosopher Richard Rorty pointed out, stories about what a nation has been and should try to be are not attempts at accurate representation, but rather attempts to forge a moral identity. I've been thinking a lot about history recently, and talking about it, too. Worldview Academy launched a new podcast in January called Mindset, a show that focuses on a particular concept and works out how to take the right approach to it from a Christian perspective. I was the guest in the inaugural episode, and of all the topics we could have tackled, the one we chose was history. Now, Cameron and I are going to talk about why history should matter to Christians. And build on some of the points made in the mindset conversation. Is the past a trap that we can never escape? Or does it point a way out if we just pay attention? Let's find out. As you know, I've been teaching with Worldview Academy for, I guess, 20 years now. And um, Worldview has just launched a new podcast called Mindset. It's hosted by my friend, Mike Shutt. He's the executive director of Worldview Academy, and he is a lawyer, law professor, worldview guy, and also, this this will warm your heart, despite having all of the, the legal training and qualifications, his real labor of love is teaching literature. Nice. And so in addition to everything else he does, and I don't know how he finds the time to do it, Mike also teaches a literature class in his hometown in in East Texas that a huge number of homeschoolers and other people from the area gather around and and go through this, this cycle with him. I've had the pleasure of sitting in on some of these classes, and it's really great. But all that just to say... As a host, Mike is a great uh, interviewer and has a lot of knowledge and he's he's one of those people who, uh, not unlike yourself, manages to have a lot of the answers and yet be willing to ask the questions anyway. <laughs> and it uh, it's always good. So Mindsets Mindset. has just launched and the first episode is one where Mike talks to me about a topic that I'm not sure we've really gone into much, but it is a passion of mine. And it's history, and specifically the value of studying history for Christians, because I think there's something really important in the walk of faith to having a sense of the past, an accurate sense of the past. So, for one thing, I just want to commend people to go check out Mindset and listen to that episode, but then I thought we might, on the commentary, take that question of history up and maybe talk about uh, a few things that follow from that discussion that I had over at Mindset.
1: Yeah, that that sounds great. Were
0: you a history major? No? Um, Yes and no. I I was one of those people who dabbled a lot and and I had a lot of minors in as an undergraduate. And so history kind of filled that that role for me. And I had some amazing history teachers who were great mentors to me. In fact, I think my history teachers over the years were oftentimes the ones who were most influential. Mm. And as a result of that, when I finished my MFA in creative writing, I, I actually intended to go into a PhD program in history okay. and sat down with the uh, the head of the the Department for Medieval and Renaissance Studies to kind of get that going, and and the thing that torpedoed it was that I'd have to learn Latin uh-huh. over the summer, and I just thought, there's no way I can learn Latin, and I had no idea Then in the future I'd be studying Hebrew and Greek, and I, w- I would long to be able to just yeah. go and learn Latin, so... Okay, there you go. So I'm not a well armchair historian. Exactly. Here we are. Exactly. Very <laughs> much an amateur historian, and uh, one of those people who, you know, has like a love hate relationship with academic history these days because a lot of it, like uh, the academic study of literature, can be a mixed bag. You know, where there's there's a there's something there for people who love history, but then there's also kind of a, like a critical overlay that often gives you the sense that you're meant to hate the thing you love. Hmm. And that's always difficult for me because I, I go into this wanting to love the thing I love. Yeah.
1: There you go. (laughs) Well, as a Christian, I can think of at least two reasons why history is important to us. And then maybe we'll get into some more, but one is obviously that our faith is rooted. We say in historical events historical truths so knowing what those things are be they in scripture or otherwise that's really important for us but also i think it's important for christians to have a general sense of the history of the church beyond say the resurrection of jesus you know whether or not that happened what the church did how it developed how the doctrines developed That's that's all history and I remember in college, as I was studying church history in particular, it was one of the things that opened up the faith to me in a new way. I was in high school, maybe stuck on that first set of questions. Did Jesus really do this? Did he do this? Did these things happen? And it was all kind of focused around the the life of Christ in college. It opened up to the larger story of how God has been working through Christians since Jesus. And that was really encouraging as well. So both of those are kind of historical approaches to the faith. But what other approach do you think we need to, to take as modern people today? I think that both of the things
0: you just mentioned, in addition to being really helpful for mm-hmm. developing one's own faith, also have the advantage of, of having like a biblical resonance. Mm. You know, when you see the way that history is used in the Bible, that's really the way it functions. You know, history in the Bible is there to remind us of God's past faithfulness. Right. All of the things that he's done. And I think that that question that you mentioned a couple of times, like, like, did this really happen? You know, whether you're talking about the resurrection or you're talking about miracles or you're Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, anything in uh, the history of redemption. Once you start asking yourself the did this happen question, yeah, you're in the realm of history, (laughs) right? And so the, the more informed you are about history, the, the more sure-footed you are in conversations like that. So yeah. I think that, whether we're we're thinking in terms of personal faith or, you know, the ability to do apologetics and, and have those conversations, I think those are all key values for historical perspective. Another one you might think of is a kind of parallel to the way that I often talk about confessionalism. You know, when I talk about why it matters to have a confession of faith, I'll often use this phrase to describe the confession. I'll say it's an anchor outside of time. Mm -hmm. That there's always a tendency for us to be people of our time and place and culture Mm -hmm. and to assume that the way we see things is just objectively true and is not conditioned in the way it is by the lives we've lived. So having a confession of faith, like having some very real commitments that are not 21st century, that they're not recent in origin, yeah. forces you not to put the blinders on. Like it, 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 it forces you to some extent to think the way people used to think and not just the way people think now. Mm-hmm. And to have to reconcile those things or see how they fit together. So if that's true of having a confession of faith, I think in a larger sense, it's also true of having a sense of history. Mm -hmm. Because people who know what happens, uh, or at least let's say people who know what the arguments are about what happened, who know the various versions and stories Mm -hmm. that have been passed down, are in a very different position when it comes to forming new beliefs than people who have no idea where we've been. No sense of the past. So yeah. I think there's a a way in which history functions in the way that, that theology can or literature can to orient us and help us so that as we form new impressions, we do it not out of ignorance, but with some sense of plausibility. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, like, if, if you go back and, and listen to that episode of Mindset, that's the case that is essentially being made. And I think it's an important case, especially at the very beginning. Like if, if you're one of those people who's like, you know, I'm not really into history. I'm not sure that there's any value in studying history. I'm more of a 21st century kind of person. Uh, why would I want to get into this? Mm-hmm. If you go and listen to Mindset, you'll you'll get, I think, the most compelling case I can make to, to address that concern. Mm-hmm. But we can also add to that because i think there's a reason why being interested in history and developing a, an awareness of history can be really helpful for us right now like not just for, for all people everywhere not just for for christians looking to think more critically but specifically for you know americans in the 2020s who are attempting to navigate this particular culture at this moment because if you read the news if you pay attention to the various arguments going on around you history plays a role in those conversations that in a sense it hasn't played until now like the, the, you see arguments about history erupting in ways that haven't really been that front and center over the last couple of decades hmm so that a lot of people who used to be indifferent to history are now talking about history more, are talking about history with a lot of confidence that they understand the way it really was. But there are all these rival histories, right? Uh, revisions coming from the, the right, from the left, all of these arguments over what, what is truly our history, And what isn't, what's politically motivated and what's not. And so this is a moment, I think, where it's really helpful for us to have a greater facility with history, like to to be better at handling history because it's being mishandled Mm -hmm. all around us in ways that I
1: think it's good to be conscious of if we're going to push back. (laughs) Yeah, it's almost like history plays a role in our self-understanding. I mean, I think that's obviously true. That's true of what I was saying earlier about Christians and their their faith. But if we're talking about a, a country, the story you tell yourself about how you got to where you are is really important. It's not, you can't just forget all of that and say, well, you know, we're going to define ourselves here. Whoever, whoever, determines that story or can control the origin, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. They're, they're in control in a way. So I, I, I sense some of that going on in politics, at least where we have all these just so narratives about how we got here. And the, the most powerful one is everyone's after that, I guess. Yeah. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, at grace,
0: we've been studying the parables recently mm-hmm. of Jesus and, I find myself wanting to say very loudly that history isn't a parable, <laughs> but oftentimes the way history is used now is parabolic, mm. that that we have these historical narratives that they're mainly invoked to teach a moral or a lesson and to question the history behind them is to question the lesson. And, or it works the other way as well. If you believe in the moral, the fact that the history is wobbly doesn't matter, yeah, because the story is being used to teach the right lesson, and so, in that sense, I think the the use of history is like it, it's not encouraging to someone who loves history. And the fact that we're suddenly talking about history again doesn't make me think awesome, and we're becoming more historically aware instead, what I think is happening is something more like the way literature, for example, has been appropriated in order to be used in this debating arena. I think history is sort of being used in that same way. And and you're right. It does have to do with defining narratives, right? So they're, they're, they're parabolic in the sense that they're narratives that teach a story, but specifically the kinds of stories uh, and the kind of lessons are the ones that, that speak to us about who we are. If, you want an analogy. You might think of this, like some people are really into genealogy and some people are not. And I think one of the reasons why, one of the things that separates those two two groups is who has an interesting past. Like if you start studying genealogy and you find all of these interesting figures in your past and they seem somehow to reflect on who you are, they give you some sense of your own rootedness mm-hmm you want to study more about that. I've spoken to to people recently about this who who know a lot about where they've come from. And almost always the people who know a lot know a lot because there are all these figures who just really seem to to define them. And then I've spoken to other people who are like, yeah, I don't really have an interesting background and they tend not to be very interested in genealogy. <laughs> Right? Because it doesn't seem to serve that purpose. So it's not surprising to me that in an age when a lot of us feel an anxiety about who we are and our identity, that there is this corresponding interest in genealogy, in in the study of rootedness and generations and, and all of that. So I think that's a good analogy for thinking about the way we use history now. Like we see people who are going to the history books. In order to fashion stories that speak to not, not really who we are, but who we want to be. Like our sense of the identity that we're curating, we come up with stories that, that validate that. And that also means we're, we're greatly drawn to stories that also define who we're against. So it's not just that I'm interested in my history because it tells me who I am but if if you're the person I see as my cultural adversary I'm really interested in your history and how it defines who you are right right mm-hmm. and so that's kind of the the tension that I see is 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 on the one hand there's a lot of interest in revising our understanding of history mm-hmm. So that we can recover lost stories, mm-hmm. right? So we can tell the stories that weren't told before. Which, as you know, a person who loves history, I find that fascinating. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by these discoveries of of things we thought were lost, and we assumed there was no way of of knowing what these lives were like. And it turns out, oh, of course, of course, there is. You just have to want to know. On the other hand, it's interesting to see that there's a. A reduction of the history we did know like that that's more like caricature because it's being used to paint the adversary into a corner right like like my history becomes interesting and rich and complex and nuanced your history actually just shows that you're a bad person from a line of bad people Mm. again the 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 application. I hope, as we're describing this, you can you can see that there's um, examples of this all across the spectrum. This isn't just like a right versus left thing or left versus right thing. I think it's it is the way that we think about history now in our culture, wherever we find ourselves in in those arguments. The this is how we use the past, and as somebody who wants to see the past. Um, regulating us, not the other way around. Mm. I I just want to push back against the very
1: technique yeah. of using the past in only this way. Well, I'd like you to say a little bit more about that distinction rather than us using the past, the past regulating us, because it seems like after listening to you describe that whole process of back and forth in rival stories, it seems like really, there is no like objective analysis of history available to any of us. It's just whoever can make the most compelling case with the evidence that they can pull up to support their view of things. But if history can inform us, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. So
0: as a Christian and certainly as, as a reformed Christian, I don't feel any discomfort acknowledging the subjectivity mm-hmm. of our history making yeah. uh, any more than than I feel uncomfortable acknowledging human subjectivity as a whole. Because the objective history is history as God knows it, not, not as we know it. Mm-hmm. So all of our attempts to explain what's happened are going to be incomplete, limited, biased, all of those things. I, I, I don't have any uh, qualm. With that understanding, I think that's that's inherent to the fact that humans are the ones doing it. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that you would not be very persuaded that a series of blog posts could adequately explain the 21st century, I think we can rest assured that a three or 400 page history of 2000 years ago does not adequately contain all that happened in that moment, right? That These are at best little snapshots. Mm -hmm. And, and so we can acknowledge that completely, but I think there is a, a difference between acknowledging subjectivity and doing your best to be a good steward of the story within those limits. And, Embracing that subjectivity in a sort of cynical way. If we cannot know objectively what happened to any sort of perfect degree. Then the pursuit of the truth doesn't matter. And all that matters is to use what we have for what we believe are the right goals. I think that's the thing that I dislike. Mm. So let me put it this way. If you are a person on the right whose interest in history is primarily based on not letting your cultural opponents take from you the defining narratives, like who the heroes were of you know your upbringing or whatever. That's a use of the past that I think is going to be inherently limiting because what it means is you're not going to be able to take a warts and all view of the past, right? You're not going to be able to acknowledge the the negatives. You're going to have to defend them. And that's true on the other side as well, right? If if you are working on your uh, like new version of where we've come from, and primarily the importance of that to you is to pin down some virtuous identity today, then there are complexities that you're not going to want to acknowledge. And there are ambiguities that you're going to want to do away with. And your way of telling the story is going to be hyperbolic. But neither of those sort of extremes, I think, has to be the case. Mm -hmm. That it's always possible, whatever your sympathies are, to... Acknowledge your limitations and and try to get some more specific sense of the past. Specifically, one that allows you to condemn things that were bad and praise things that were good, regardless of who did them, yeah. right or whose side they were on. That kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. I think that for me, from a Christian point of view, is is the the next step when it comes to taking that interest in history that. That the more you know about history, the more you're going to recognize that there there are no golden ages where everybody was behaving as they should. There is no sort of Christian golden age that we could just return to and everything would be fine. And that whatever period you find yourself studying, there are going to be things in it that aren't just bad because culture has changed, but are objectively bad. Like you're going to find evils perpetrated that, that people at the time recognized as evil, like nothing to do with just shifting mores Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to confront those realities. And when you do, I think you want to apply a Christian moral judgment that is not hypocritical, Mm -hmm. right? So when Christians look at the past, they shouldn't make excuses for sin, You know, when it comes to contemporary behavior, we insist on this, you know, that we're not going to make excuses for sinful behavior. We're going to acknowledge, you know, this is wrong. But uh, we have to do the same thing when we look at the past. I think about the Crusades as an example, where uh, if you are looking at this from the standpoint of someone trying to explain what's wrong with Christianity, the Crusades are a gift, Mm -hmm. right? Because you can cherry pick atrocities and and intolerances and and everything you're looking for to essentially paint a twenty first century Christian into the corner, you can find those things in that history yeah. and weaponize them mm-hmm. and If you find that that past is being used against you, I think the the tendency is to try to make it you know work for you. And so you'll find people rationalizing and making excuses and trying to, quote-unquote, contextualize things to show that they weren't as bad as people make them out to be or whatever. And again, you, you find yourself in the false position of defending something that, scripturally speaking, is indefensible. Yeah. So the question is, if you're advocating for a love of history how do you rein that history in, you know, like, like how do you prevent yourself from being merely like a partisan of these historical interpretations? And this is where I want to just circle back to that initial analogy where I said that the value of history is similar to the value of a confession of faith and that it's an anchor outside of time. And I want to say that, that if you have that confession of faith as a central commitment that actually, it will help you acknowledge the realities of history, warts and all, because your sense of identity would be grounded in doctrinal beliefs, not in stories of the past mm-hmm. and and that I think is the the key here that there' a there's an insight that if we think about this, it could be helpful that like, there was a time not too long ago in the history of the Christian church where we made a transition away from speaking of doctrines defining us to narratives and stories being what defines us. And we had this sense that, that doctrinal definitions were sterile and abstract and somehow Aristotelian, but that biblical realities were warm, embodied narrative. Now I think we're at a point in history where we can say, you know what, maybe it's not either or. And maybe the the embodied narrative isn't sufficient either. And this is where having like a thick confessional commitment, I think, can help us be more discerning about history. So that, yeah, the, the stories we tell ourselves about the past, they do define us, they shape us. But we wanna be the kind of people who can also see the stories that that show us our dark side if um there's one example i guess i could I could share that for me has has been really instructive it has to do with um admired theologians you know that yeah. that um I'm one of those people that's really benefited from reading a lot of old theology and the thing about reading a systematic theology book is that it doesn't include a lot of autobiographical detail about the author. It's not digressive. It's not, there's not a lot of narrative, right? And so you can come to love and understand a thinker and not really know much of anything about, you know, how he lived and what his views were outside of, you know, classic questions of theology. And so, um, I had the experience of of having um a theologian that I just really admired the clarity of his systematics um, which was Dabney uh who was a Southern Presbyterian uh had been the the chaplain to Stonewall Jackson in in the American Civil War and you're thinking well that should have been a red flag but <laughs> but uh yeah you know um I'm reading the systematics and it's pretty timeless you know it doesn't feel like it's a product of any particular moment in history or whatever and i'm finding it really helpful in a lot of ways and then i start reading all of his work and when i do and i get especially into some of just the writings related to uh, life of the church stuff, and and specifically questions of integrating the church after the Civil War, I start finding stuff that that I'm not just uncomfortable with, but that I find appalling, mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm astonished that the same person could have been the author of these things. And there was definitely a part of me in that moment, a sort of reflex, to want to divide the person in two and say, you know, the, the, the writings that I benefited from are the true reflection of the man. And this other stuff is more a product of the culture in which he lived. But when I think of my own writing, that's not the way, you know, right. yeah. it, it seems to operate that all of those things are are intertwined. And so I, I'm in, unless I forget what I've read my view of the past becomes more complex, right? My view of of a quote-unquote hero becomes more complex mm-hmm. than than it was and and more tarnished yeah. than it was. What I'm suggesting is that that experience is a good one for us, that when a, a knowledge of history tarnishes our caricatures so that we can no longer worship them, when our idols have their feet of clay revealed, that that's actually a benefit and not something to be feared. Yeah. But the only way I think that you can enter into that is, is if you have some other sense of who you are that's not threatened by that more complicated history. Mm. Right? And, and that's where I think recovering the importance of that confessional identity is so good for us now. Because it seems to me, and this is painting with a broad brush, but when I look at the people today who are involved in these conversations over history who seem to be getting it right, who seem to be able to acknowledge the the complexity of the past without reducing it all down one way or the other, they do tend to be people who have these thick prior confessional commitments where they don't feel so threatened by a warts and all history. They're open to... A revised understanding where the history supports it mm-hmm. but they're also willing to push back against it when the history doesn't yeah and that's
1: the kind of historian quote-unquote i want to be mm-hmm. that's good i was also thinking about theologians one of my friends the other day tweeted something about carl bart mm-hmm. who of course was found to have a mistress or something you know mm-hmm. tor- towards the the later end of his life, and and a lot of people who already don't like Karl Barth are like, oh well, look at this, you know, inconsistency. Yes. Now we can discount him. And my friend was saying, well, you know, you can pretty much find anything in any theologian, like that, you know, some some flaw. And he he pointed out some other examples. One example was Augustine. I find Augustine really interesting, specifically his Confessions, because he's telling the narrative of his life, but it's, it's a warts and all narrative. He's telling this autobiography and he's, he's not always afraid to tell us like, yeah, I, I had a mistress too. Or like, I I really doubted this or, you know, I had this issue and it's intertwined with doctrine though. And of course, for the, for the time that he wrote this, this was incredibly novel, very new way of doing theology. But I think, it stands as an example of what you're saying. This there's like a, a deep theology of the church, a biblical theology throughout that work, the confessions, but also this, this narrative that can be a little bit more honest, it seems because he's, he's doing it as a form of prayer. He's telling the story of prayer before God and he, he wants to expose it all. So I'm always happy to recommend people go read, the confessions again, <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good point. It, it's we don't have to have
0: a history that consists mainly of just heroes and villains, right? You know, and I, I think that's really the key is that um, any time that that you're being told the past consists, you know, of something a little bit like an Avengers movie, where there were all of these, you know, good people banded together against all these bad people. Um, you're probably getting an oversimplified narrative that's that's being um, presented to you for modern purposes, right? It's not real knowledge of the past in the same way. And so, um, I know that there is always a tendency in the church to take a, a hagiographical view of the past. You know, to study the the quote unquote lives of the saints, and and the saints can often be the theologians, the great thinkers, uh, historical figures, whatever it is. Um, we're not doing any of them an injustice by reckoning with their flaws, Mm -hmm. because theologically speaking, that's who we say human beings are. Right. Right. And so I think that's, um, if you reflect on that, it helps, I think, qualify this endorsement of history that, that, that I'm making. So all that just to say, go listen to Mindset. Think about the importance of history, and as you've stewed in that a little bit, think about what we've talked about here as well, that, that the point is not to weaponize history, to use it against our enemies or anything like that. If anything, it's to have an understanding of the way that God has worked in and through us for thousands of years, and to allow that to shape and sanctify us now. Thanks for listening to The Commentary. In the show notes, we've included a link to Worldview Academy's new show, Mindset, so you can check it out for yourself. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to The Commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit GraceForSuFalls.org.